At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up on episode 275 of Wheel Bearings, it's just the boys as we have the 2023 Genesis GV60 performance, uh, Honda's new level two and level three driver assist systems, as well as a plug-in hybrid fuel cell CRV coming in 2024, off-road Lamborghini Huracans and Porsche 911s, and some listener questions. All that coming up next. This is episode 275 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abual Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Roberto Baldwin from, uh, let's see, Motor One. I'm from Motor One. Oh, from Motor One this week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and where are you tonight, uh, Robbie? I am in Las Vegas. Um, I know we don't, we're not doing the live stream because this is like a last minute thing, but there yeah. is an orb. I'm just going to show, show Sam. There's just a random orb on this desk that I'm using. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's supposed to be the moon. It's very weird. I feel like that I own the orb of power, and because of that, I control the universe, at least for the day. Okay, that works. But I'm in Las Vegas to drive a, to drive a, a, a McLaren, which there will be video of it on Engadget sometime this week, hopefully. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, I am at home uh, in Ypsilanti tonight, and uh, you didn't drive anything this week because you're behind schedule on a bunch of stuff it's <laughs> <laughs> a nice way of saying robbie's not robbie doesn't write fast enough <laughs> but um i drove the uh 2023 genesis gv60 performance um Ooh. yes um and i had previously driven it briefly back in may um at the uh, mama spring rally at road america but that was only for about 10 15 minutes um and uh this time i got to spend a whole week with it which was lovely um this is the genesis variant of the uh the the, the first batch of hyundai egmp models so you get the hyundai ionic 5 the kia ev6 and the gv60 uh so it's it's the first plug-in battery electric vehicle from genesis uh it's the most premium of the first three egmp cars and 
uh, it's quite speedy. Um, hence the hence the performance. There's two two variants of the GV60. There's the base model and the the performance. And uh, let's see the um, the base model um, is, has the same motor setup as the all-wheel drive um, EV6 and Ionic 5. So 314 horsepower, slightly smaller front motor, larger rear motor. Uh, and the performance gets 429 horsepower. So you get larger, um, you get the same uh, 160 kilowatt motor um, at both axles. Um, and in addition to that, it also has a boost mode, which uh, when you, there's a button on the steering wheel on the um, right-hand drive spoke, it says boost. You hit that button and you'll see a countdown timer on the instrument cluster startup and counting down from 10. And you can get 10 second boost mode that bumps that power output up to 483 horsepower. Um, Which is, uh, yeah. by the way, I, I've driven this car. It's outstanding, but it's also very Porsche. Yes. And uh, you know, presumably the, the, the reason why you only get 10 seconds is because while it's giving you that maximum power, the motors are heating up, the battery's heating up, and you know, Genesis doesn't want you to, you know, just run this continuously like that, you know, and fry everything. So they give you a 10-second boost, which, to be fair, is plenty fast enough to get yourself into all kinds of trouble. 10 seconds is a long time. It is, especially if you really think about it when, you, when, when you're behind the wheel. When you can get from, from a standing start to 60 miles an hour in three and a half seconds, um, you, you, you know, by the end of that 10 seconds, by the end, by the time that 10 seconds is done, if you have kept your right foot buried in it, um, you're going to be at a speed where you could be in some, you could get some, get yourself into some serious jeopardy. So yeah. I think 10 seconds is definitely more than enough at a, at a shot. Um, and the nice thing about it is, you just press the button and you don't have to go through any kind of rigmarole. You don't have to do like, you know, the Watts to freedom on the Hummer where <laughs> you've got the thing's got to lower itself down and it's got to grumble at you or, you know, the, <laughs> it's the gotta super, get an attitude adjustment, the, the super acceleration mode on the, the model S plaid, you know, where it's got to heat up the battery and, or, you know, get the battery to the right temperature and all, you know, you got to go through all kinds of rigmarole just to get one acceleration run at maximum performance this you just hit the button and you go simple as that very very easy um you know this car is roughly the same size it the, you know it's technically a crossover for whatever that actually means in 2022 yeah which is which means, is not anything it's it's a hatchback that where you sit a little bit higher than you would in a regular yeah hatchback. that's that's and, that's just what crossover means now yeah and that and that's fine i'm i'm good with that um so uh, it's, you know, it's roughly the same size as the Onyx 5 EV6, um, you know, which is good. You know, it means there's plenty of plenty of room in the backseat for certainly for two adults and, you know, uh, three if they're not too wide. Um, it is capable of doing 240 kilowatt charging, um, assuming you can find a charger that is capable of delivering at least 240 kilowatts. Um, unfortunately, as it turned out, I went to my local EA station that's down the road from me uh, three times over the course of the weekend after doing a bunch of driving and getting it down to about uh, under 20% state of charge because I wanted to see you know how fast it would actually charge. I even did some driving and and you know did the preconditioning. You know, I, I set the 
I turned on preconditioning, set the navigation to guide me to the uh, to the charging station, drove around for a while till it was all warmed up. And, and when you put it in, when you have it in preconditioning mode in the little icon in the instrument cluster that gives you, that shows you the state of charge, <clears throat> you'll see a little coil appear there because it's, that's indicating that it's warming up the battery to get it to that optimum temperature to accept a charge. Like an electric range? Yes, exactly. And uh, I arrived at my Electrify America station only to find somebody plugged into the one working 350 kilowatt charger because the other one, <clears throat> I tried it, tried both of the cables on it. It would not recognize that it was plugged into a car. Uh, I called Electrify America to complain about it. I said, yeah, we've got a ticket in on that one. Hopefully we'll get it fixed soon. Uh, the other 350 kilowatt charger uh, was currently being used by a Chevy Bolt. <laughs> there were two other 150 kilowatt chargers available, but the driver is, of the Bolt opted to I, use the 350. I'm going to, I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse, but we, the fact that automakers are not upfront about the charge, the actual charge rate, not the time from 10 to 80%, mm -hmm. but the actual charge rate of their cars and how their car, how quickly their charges, their cars charge at a station is why we end up with Chevy Bolts. They can only charge up to 50 kilowatts at 350 kilowatt like spots. Yeah. Because so, we, we're just not, we're not doing a very good job or the automakers are not doing a very good job or the, the regular press is not doing a very good job of just explaining that. I think if you, if you read tech sites and you read car sites, then you probably got a good handle on it, but everyone else is just sort of like, yeah, we'll figure it out. And, and I'm sure that, you know, when, um, when electrify America starts adding their, uh, hyper fast and ultra fast charging labels to, uh, to their chargers, their 150 and 350 kilowatt chargers. And I'm not sure which one is which, uh, but I'm sure that will clear up all the confusion and everybody will be charging at the right chargers. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a start on their end, but it doesn't help that the automakers are still like no. sort of coy about like how fast their cars charge. I'm like, yeah. just give us a number so we can s send it to the people. And then the people know I, my car charges at 50 kilowatts, anything under anything, 150 is fine. Yeah. So I came back to the, I went home, came back two more times over the course of the weekend uh, to find, um, let's see, one time there was a Mach-E charging on that work, one working 350 kilowatt charger. The other time it was a Polestar 2. Um, so nobody during that weekend actually was able to take proper advantage of that particular charger. Um, I finally, I came came back on Monday and figured, okay, maybe, you know, be less occupied, you know, in the middle of a Monday. Uh, you know, people are working or whatever, only to find that the crew had finally arrived to do the rip and replace on the chargers. Uh, oh, all of them, all, all, all six of them. Yes. Uh, um, when I talked to with Electrify America about a month or so ago, um, about some things they were doing, they told me that, yeah, they're <clears throat> one of their all their ABB chargers, um, that they had been having a lot of problems with, they were all going to be replaced by the end of the year. Uh, including the one here in, in Ypsilanti. Um, and as it turned out, they picked the time when I had the GV60 <laughs> to do it. It's like the GV60, the Porsche Taycan. What else is 800 volt? Um, the Audi e-tron GT. The e-tron GT, which is essentially like, yeah. And the, and e the Hummer. And the, yeah, and the Hummer. Yeah, those are, those are the ones. Those are the ones, and that's the... <laughs> 
as soon as you have one, they're like, yeah, we're going to break everything down and rebuild it. Yeah. So um, they're, uh, when I last drove by there on Friday, you know, they had all the old chargers ripped out. Uh, they hadn't yet started installing the new ones. And they're, they're putting in new chargers that have been designed by Electrify America with a, with a partner specifically for their needs that will supposedly give them a lot better capability to monitor and diagnose um, problems with the chargers so that when they send a technician out to fix it, they, they'll know hopefully exactly what the problem is when they yeah. get there. And using off the shelf stuff. I mean, they didn't design this stuff. I mean, they sort of yeah. designed it, but they designed it with like just sort of like a Lego set, but you're using Duplo and then those. Weird well, they, they, they basically designed like what the outer case of looks like. So, so they all had a consistent look, but you know, tears. the, the guts inside, you know, it's were, a, it's the Homer miss <laughs> the guts inside of electrifying America is a Homer. And so now yeah. they're like, oh, why don't we just design and do all this? I mean, they had to like deploy it legally, like they legally had to do it. Yeah, because this I'm was all part of their settlement with yeah. the uh, the Department of uh, Ener- Department of Justice and Probably. state yes, of California uh, to um, for for Dieselgate. You know, they they agreed that we're going to invest two billion dollars in charging infrastructure, and so to do that, they established a new business unit called Electrify America and. In Canada, they did Electrify Canada, and they started deploying DC fast charging all across the country. Um, you know, as far as deploying it, they've they've done a good job. It's just the equipment they put out there was not so great, and they haven't done a great yeah. job with maintenance. But What's hopefully, hopefully, it will get better. We'll see in the coming months uh, once these new chargers are installed if if it actually does get any better. Um, so, so I ended up not doing any fast charging uh, tests with the GV60, uh, but. Um, uh, I did drive it around quite a bit, had a lot of fun with it. This is a very quick car. Um, I, I really, you know, I like the the way it looks. I like the 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 look and feel of the interior is very comfortable. Uh, one one neat touch is uh, when you put it into the, the seats um, on the performance model, uh, they have a bunch of adjustments, including adjustable side bolsters. And when you switch it from eco or performance to sport mode, the side bolsters tighten up to uh, hold you in place, you know, so that you're sitting right in front you remain sitting right in front of the steering wheel and you don't, you're going to slide around a little bit less, uh, which is, which is nice and handy. Um, I think we've talked before about the, uh, the shifter knob, which when you first get in the car, when the car is off, you know, it's got this cool, uh, looks like a glass sphere that's got some internal, lights in it that, that looks really neat um but you can, you know there's nothing to grab and you can't twist it or anything and then when you press the start button then this thing flips over rotates over and now you have the shift the shift uh dial to select park reverse neutral and drive so that gives you a visual indication of whether the car is actually on or off because obviously with an ev you know it's you you know it's always quiet uh, so it's nice to have that visual indicator and, and it's just a cool little design feature. Um, one other interesting design touch that they did on the GV60 is this is one of the first cars that has biometrics for entry and starting of the car. Um, so when you, when you first get in the car, you have to have, there's two key fobs. You have to have both key fobs with you to program the biometrics and you go in the, in the menu set up your profile and then it'll ask you there's a fingerprint sensor on the center console 
and there's a camera outside of the car on the B pillar uh, for a face ID. And so first it'll ask you to, uh, yeah, first it'll ask you to step outside the car, look at the camera and you'll see a little uh, circle, a light uh, rotate around the camera. And then it turns green indicating that it has recognized your face. It's captured your face. Uh, and then you get back in the car and do the same usual fingerprint thing that you would do with your phone. If your phone has a fingerprint sensor and recognize that. So now without a key fob and without having the digital key on your phone, uh, which you can also do as another option, uh, you can just walk up to the car, look at the B pillar and it, if it'll recognize your face and then you can get in, press the fingerprint button and then start the car and you're on your way without having anything, uh, which is all very handy. I don't know how secure it actually is. Hopefully Hyundai has you know, done everything properly to keep all that data secured. Uh, you know, it has you know, secure element in the, the chip that controls all this stuff. So it's all properly encrypted. Um, but it is, it is a convenient touch. Um, it was nice when I had the car and I could just go out and I needed some, I was like outside doing something. I'm like, oh, I need something out of the car. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't have to go inside and get the key. I just like went over and looked at it. It's all click. So that was nice. Yeah, so this is um, not an inexpensive car. Um, as equipped, uh, the GV60 Performance that I had um, had was priced at $69,560, um, which is um, fairly expensive. It's not a cheap car. No. It feels um, nice, though. And it, yeah. you know, you're no, it, all this it, fun it feels stuff. premium. It feels like a $70,000 yeah. car. Yeah, definitely feels nice and yeah. luxurious. And, you know, I mean, if you want, you know, largely the same mechanical bits without all the the fancy gadgetry like the biometrics and the the flip over shifter and things like that, you know, you can go buy a, a Hyundai Ionic Five for about forty two, forty three thousand. You know, so yeah, you know, like twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars less, um, and get you know certainly you get the same battery, and you're gonna get. Uh, you know, um, the same, same kind of motors in there. Uh, so you can get all, you can get a lot of the important stuff for a lot less money. Uh, if you want to the, um, the GV 60 performance is rated at 235 miles of range. Um, when I had it, it was fairly cold, uh, most of the time. So I was using the heat, um, and I didn't run it all the way down. Uh, but, uh, it worked out um, that it averaged about uh, three miles per kilowatt hour, uh, which works out to about 220 miles of range. So a little bit less than the estimate. But as I said, it was cold uh, and the um, uh, the, you know, I was using the, the heat uh, while driving it. Uh, so, you know, not not bad, you know, uh, 220 miles when it's cold. I think, you know, in, in more moderate temperatures when it's when it's warmer out. Um, you could easily hit that 235 and and probably uh, a little more than that, maybe get up to 240, 245 uh, without any difficulty. You can also get the uh, the standard GV60 uh, that I think has uh, 250 miles of range. Uh, you know, it's not, it's it's still very quick. You know, it'll still do zero to 60 in like the mid four second range. Um, so it's it's still more than quick enough for almost everybody. Uh, and you and you get most of the most of the goodies with it anyway. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed driving the GV60. I've, I've always enjoyed driving all of these eGMP 
uh, models from Hyundai Motor Group, and, uh, and this is just the latest. So good in their own way. It's, yeah. and they're, they're, they're all based on the same platform, but they all have just enough character in their own to make it seem like, oh, well, this is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my so all my, my personal favorite is still the EV6. Um, I like the way it looks uh, and the way it drives, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say no to any of them. I, I like them all. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like the, see, I like the Ionic 5. But that's see, that's that's a nice thing is there's one for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get into a few stories of the week. Um, let's start off. Uh, Honda made an eh, Honda actually made a couple of announcements this week. Um, they first, um, you know, early in the week, they announced their intention to uh, launch new, more advanced driver assist systems in the coming years. Um, and have them all available globally across their product line by 2030. Um, they already last year in Japan on a limited run of the Honda Legend uh, launched uh, Honda Sensing Elite, which at the time was the first level uh, production level three automated driving system, which means that at level three, it means uh, you can your hands off and eyes off, but you're still brain on. So you get, you don't have to be watching the road when you're using it, but you do have to remain awake and alert, but you can be reading or texting. You got to be ready to take over within about 10 seconds. I've talked before. I'm, I'm not convinced that this is necessarily a great idea, but they're doing it and other manufacturers are doing it. Um, and they are going to be, Offering that, uh, rolling that out globally on other models um, outside of Japan, beginning in 2024. Um, they also have a level two system, their their Honda Sensing 360, uh, which they launched in China earlier this year, uh, which has more sensors, more radar sensors, uh, more cameras, uh, but no lidar, um, and that is more like Ford Blue Cruise or uh, GM Super Cruise, where it has hands-free capability, auto lane changing, things like that. Um, and that is also going to start becoming available globally starting in 2024 um, on models that they haven't yet announced, which those will be, uh, but that that's coming in 24. Um, so um, that's all. And then by 2030, they plan to have those available basically across their entire lineup. No thoughts. Oh, sorry. I thought I, I thought I had froze for a second. Sorry about that. Oh no. Um, you know, I think it's you know, level three. If you, I know, I, I've I've ridden the Mercedes Benz level three system. And if you live in a town or a, let's say you just live in LA, let's just say LA, where you're just stuck in traffic and you're never going more than thirty miles an hour, that's where that that thing makes the most sense, really. I think all these sort of level three systems make a lot of sense. Very geofenced on certain roads going very slow where you can take over and it's not, yeah, there's not a lot, there's not a lot happening to be honest. You're, you're just sort of stuck and you're, you're just stop moving stuff. So yeah. I think in, in that instance, yeah, I mean, when you're in that kind of stop and go traffic, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I would just as soon have something like this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of that, like, I'm just like, mm, just because people, you know, they, they, they get distracted. 
to be honest. Like how much, you know, and, and then are we, are we in, in incentivizing people using their phones when they shouldn't be using their phones because they can use it at this point, but now you can't use it at this point. And, and also you have to worry and wonder about like the, the law. Like if I have uh, this system in California, am I allowed to use my phone? Because I'm not allowed to have a phone in my hand while I'm driving. And the cop doesn't know the difference between, you know, my level three system and a level two and a half system. It's just, there's a lot, there's a lot to sort of unpack with these and it, you know, we're still, I mean, we're such early days that no one even has one on the road here in the United States yet. So we'll, we'll see how it works out. But I mean, if you're asking me to trust the average driver. <laughs> well, and yeah, it gets better because um, earlier this summer, they uh, updated the regulations in, in Europe. So the, the, U, the initial UNEC regulation for automated what they call automated lane keeping systems which is what they're referring to these level three systems as um when it came out a couple of years ago it you know it required that the vehicles be geofenced to divided highways and the speed limit was set at 60 kilometers an hour 37 miles an hour they've since updated that um earlier this summer so it's now the speed limit for that is now 130 kilometers an hour 85 80 miles an hour so you can use this at highway speeds now. Yeah, that's that's. I'm I'm not so I, sure that's a good idea. And I feel like that might have been Mercedes Benz and maybe. Well, I'm sure it was. Volvo? Probably, Probably Volvo, Volvo and BMW because BMW's got a system yeah, coming next BMW, year as well. Yeah, their their systems. I don't know. I mean, setting it's like setting the regulations doesn't mean they're going to automatically set the cars. The Germans are the Germans and the the Swedes are very very concerned. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> about liability. Let's say more so than Tesla. Like, if yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, if I'm it's sure 120 that... kilometers an hour, they're probably still going to keep it at 40 for now. They're like, you know what? Let's just mm. because they've said. I mean, Mercedes has said if I, if there's an accident, it's our fault. Right. So, and I I think Volvo said that as well. Yeah, Volvo, I, yeah, Volvo said that. BMW has also said it. Yeah. So. so, so with that in mind, they're probably like, you know, it's nice that the that the regulations say for future, so they can, they're, they're essentially future proofing the regulations. But I think that the automakers, especially in Europe are going to be very cautious before they even get even close to that sort of speed, those sort of speeds on the, on the freeway. I hope so. Well, at least I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. The the other big announcement from Honda this week was that uh, they're going to produce um, a new zero emissions version of the CRV um, in Ohio, in Marysville, Ohio, uh, starting in 2024. Um, they, they're going to produce it at uh, what's known as the Performance Manufacturing Center which until a couple of weeks ago was the home of the NSX. Uh, NSX production has ended, and now they're going to build this new version of the CRV there, limited production. Um, and what makes it unique is that it's going to be a plug-in hybrid fuel cell CRV. So it will you'll be able to plug it in. Um, it'll have a battery that will give you some as yet indeterminate amount of electric driving range from the battery. Uh, and then it will also have a fuel cell that it can use as a range extender. Um, and they haven't said, you know, what kind of range this is all going to have or uh, how much this thing's going to cost. Um, th- this this idea of a plug-in hybrid fuel cell vehicle is not new. Um, you know, I actually drove one back in... February of 20, 2007, um, Ford had introduced a uh, the what was known as the High Series Drive Edge. And actually, in January 2007 at the Detroit Auto Show, they showed a concept called uh, the Airstream, which was this bright, polished aluminum minivan-like vehicle that, at least on the spec sheet, said it would have a plug-in hybrid fuel cell powertrain. Um, as it turns out, the actual concept had a little four-cylinder engine mounted in the middle, kind of like the old Toyota Previa. Um, but uh, th- but they actually did build prototypes of this drivetrain. And in the case of the Edge, uh, the prototype Edge that I drove, it had, um, I think, about uh, 25 miles of electric range from the battery and um, and then about an- excuse me, another 200 miles of range uh, from the onboard hydrogen and fuel cell. And one of the stated advantages of this layout is you can have you know a little bit less battery um you know have you know have a battery that you can plug in you can drive it you know uh from the grid most of the time do most of your driving off of that and then um use the fuel cell as a range extender and when the fuel cell isn't your primary source of electricity to drive the vehicle um when it's just running steady state just to recharge the battery it can be much more efficient. You can get more range out of it or or not need to carry as much hydrogen. Um, so, you know, since then, there's been a couple of other concepts. Audi's shown uh, a version of the A7, I think, that had this kind of powertrain in it. Uh, BMW's shown something like this. Um, so, uh, 
you know, I'll be curious to see how Honda markets this thing, uh, what kind of range it actually gets. I mean, obviously, it's probably not going to be available outside of California because that's the only place where you can get any hydrogen. Yeah. But. I, I I saw, well, they showed us this car under wrap, like real, literally under stuff. Like we couldn't see the actual design and everything, but they were like, hey, there's a fuel cell. They're like, we're like, is this a CRV? They're like, oh. <laughs> um, but I feel like Honda's, I mean, it's, it's, I, we still have to build out the infrastructure in Japan and in Korea. There's far more, you know, there's far more uh, hydrogen fueling stations. And that's all because of regulatory. Um, so it's, you know, I, I, on one hand, you're like, oh, hydrogen sounds like a, you know, a perfect solution, but no one's building any hydrogen stations. And everyone's been talking about building hydrogen stations and then they don't build the hydrogen stations. And, I think this is interesting because especially if you live in the Bay area, you can, you know, you can go to the hydrogen station, but now you can just, you know, the idea that you can, you have a plug-in hybrid from Honda that you can just drive around most of the time and then occasionally go get some more hydrogen is, is, uh, you know, for people in the Bay area, I think it'll be, you know, you'll see them out there. I mean, I see Mirai's out there. I don't see as many Nexos as I thought I would, but I see a lot of Mirai's and so, yeah, no, I think, you know, they're, for for especially for folks who are just kind of concerned about the infrastructure this might be something where they're like hey you can also just drive it around after you plug it into your house so we'll see yeah um one other interesting detail that i noticed um yeah they're building this they're going to build this thing in the the pmc where they up until a couple of weeks ago were building the nsx uh so they're replacing the nsx with a new production fuel cell vehicle Back in 2005, when they ended production of the first generation NSX, that car was built at the Honda's Tochigi factory in uh, in Japan. And after they finished building the NSX, they retooled that factory to build a fuel cell car, the original FCX Clarity, in two, oh, yeah. starting in 2007 or 2008. So. That's that's twice now that the the NSX two generations of NSXs that have been replaced in their factories by fuel cell vehicles. By fuel cells. Yeah. It's a harbinger of of, of hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Next up, uh, something completely different. Uh, in in the last couple of weeks, um, we've had announcements of two very high performance um, sports cars that now have off road variants sort of the uh, Lamborghini Huracan uh, Storado, uh and the Porsche 911 Dakar. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to say about these. I am here for both of these vehicles. I like the idea of, of a fast, I like the Porsche Safari. I like anytime someone safaris out of Porsche, a 911 of any generation, I don't care. Um, I don't know. I just, I like these types of, these types of, uh, I don't know, gimmicks, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least, at least with the 911, you know, it's got a history of being used as a rally car, you know, going That's, back to the, yeah. at least the, the 1960s, actually. Um, and, you know, during the 80s, there were 911 um, variants that were developed for the, the Perry Dakar rally, you know, and they won the Perry Dakar rally. Um, so, 
it's not it's not an entirely new thing. And in fact, um, the photos of the car that Porsche has released, uh, it carries the uh, uh, a version of the old Rothmans livery that was on those Perry Dakar cars in the mid 80s. Um, but without the word, it says rough, rough roads instead of Rothman's uh, tobacco company. Um, and it's got the number 953, which was the type number of the original 911 Dakar racer. It was a, a, a type 953. So, uh, you know, it, it actually has some heritage this way, but the Huracan, an off-road Huracan. I don't know. It seems like I would, I would totally drive it. If I had a lot of money. <laughs> What hurricane are you going to get? I'm going to get the off-roading one, one of the 1,500 they're going to make. It, it, it uh, you know, in the photos of this thing, you know, with the, with the way they've done the coloring and the dust and everything and the environment they've set the car in, yeah, it looks like something straight out of Mad Max. Oh, so yeah. It, you, this, is, you, this is the Mad Max Lamborghini, I guess. You throw some, some flamethrowers on that thing, it's ready to rock. Post maybe maybe some missile world. launchers missile launchers flamethrowers bullets whatever <laughs> you need to get through the wasteland yeah that's what they're gonna have uh so yeah it's gonna be uh 2500 units of the 911 dakar uh, at a starting price of two hundred and twenty three thousand four hundred fifty dollars um 473 horsepower uh twin turbo uh flat six and then the um the huracan uh let's see the huracan has got what uh 1499 no four, yeah 14 yeah so 1499 units um no uh no u.s price for the huracan Storado yet although the uh uh the european price is two hundred and seventy thousand dollars. yeah uh, so they're probably uh, all sold out yeah yeah they probably are <laughs> to, be, uh, to be honest they're probably all sold out so if you, yeah. unless you Unless you're a current Lamborghini owner, you probably yeah you got you got probably have to be a current uh, Lamborghini owner and be friends with your local dealer. Yeah, you're like so. hey, I got a secret. Uh, I have to motor. I got to oh, run. I got to okay. go to this, this dinner now. There, all right, because I have to I have to go across of the vastness of the wind to go to a room to then go somewhere else. I don't know where the hell we're. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, have fun with the uh, McLaren and then in the UK. And I'm going to go and go ahead and answer a couple of questions here and wrap it up for this week. Uh, So thanks. Thanks, Robbie, for taking a few minutes of your time. Bye, everybody. Um, Bye. I hope I won't wreck a McLaren. All right. Bye. Bye. Uh, All right. So um, we did get uh, three questions in. Uh, First one is from Dave Marsh. Uh, Dave asks, uh, the time's approaching for a new purchase. I want to ask what to buy. You guys explained that already. Uh, my question was, uh, what is your opinion on trim level? So, uh, first he's asking about the Subaru Outback 2023, uh, fully trimmed out with Napa leather or just stick with the wilderness package. Both have the 2.4, the wilderness exterior and blackout trim appeals to me, but the leather ventilated seats are calling. Uh, I've driven the wilderness, but not a leather version. Uh, I'd like your thoughts and impressions. I'm going to replace one day uh, a JKU. Um, so the car has to get jobs done. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm old enough that maybe I want a car with some comfort. Uh, I'm not buying an SUV and want a wagon package that offers good value for money, hence the Outback. 
So yeah, I mean the, the Outback is a great form factor. Uh, you know, it is it is a, a lifted wagon. Um, you know, and I'm all about the wagons. I love love station wagons. I think it, while ventilated leather seats are nice, it's a Subaru. This is not you know a high end luxury car. I, I would probably I would go with the Wilderness. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's fine. It, it's going to be great. Um, you know, and even if it's got cloth seats, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's going to be fine. They're going to be durable. I mean, whatever, whatever you get, you know, this is a Subaru. It's going to be very durable. Go, go with whatever, whatever you like, or more importantly, whatever you can actually get your hands on. Um, that's, that's probably as, as critical as anything at this stage, but, um, I would say the wilderness is, is probably a good choice for you. Uh, Richard DiCarlo asks, uh, Hey guys. Uh, just wanted to give my impressions on the future of the combustion engine. It seems like current go- the current government wants to kill it along with the rest of the world, only to substitute it with batteries uh, that are just as harmful to the environment as the attract- extraction of oil. Not to mention that the cobalt and other raw materials are coming from countries that are not friendly to us, and we don't seem to be interested uh, in money those mineral in mining those minerals in our country. Um, backwards uh, backwards thinking, if you ask me. But that being said. Hybrid vehicles, for the most part, will be the only way that you'll get flyover country to embrace some type of transition. You guys seem to live in areas where there is a lot of charging stations, but for most part of the most part, the rest of the country, they don't live near a big metropolitan area. Uh, do not have to and won't have to won't have that for a long time. Just wanted to get your opinion. I love your show. Keep up the good work. Uh, thanks, Richard. Um, so yes, there there is a movement to phase out internal combustion, uh, particularly internal combustion that is powered by fossil fuels. The The current administration definitely wants to get rid of it. Certainly, uh, European countries, most European countries want to eliminate internal combustion. Uh, but the reality is it's, it's still going to be, you know, we've got such a large fleet of vehicles on the road. It's going to take decades to replace all those vehicles. They're going to be around for a long time. Um, as for the environmental challenges of batteries, um, it's true that for the materials used in batteries today, um, notably the, the cobalt, um, and, um, uh, other raw materials, you know, co- most of the cobalt today is mined in central Africa, uh, in less than ideal humanitarian conditions. Um, however, it's not the only source of cobalt. Uh, we are actually just in the last month. Uh, a cobalt mine opened up in, um, I believe, in Montana. It's the first cobalt mine in North America in almost 50 years, I believe. Um, and cobalt is often produced as a byproduct of nickel mining as well. Uh, and quite a bit of nickel is produced in Canada. It's produced in Indonesia. Uh, it's produced in Australia. Uh, so there are other sources of cobalt. Um, and I think one of the things that we are going to see in the coming years, um, you know, especially with the regulations in the um, Inflation Reduction Act that require uh, domestic sources of uh, battery materials and battery components, is I think we will see some, at least for battery materials, I think we will see some relaxing of some of the uh, permitting requirements uh, for extracting these materials in uh, in the U.S. Um, we're certainly going to see expansion of production of those materials from other other countries besides uh, Congo. 
you know, that will help. And then longer term, you know, as the number of EVs on the road grows and some of those more and more of those EVs reach the end of their life, one of the factors we're going to see is um, a lot more recycling. Um, one of the great things about batteries, lithium-ion batteries, is they are actually not that hard to recycle. And um, companies like uh, Lycycle and uh, Redwood Materials, uh, based out in Nevada, um, and as well as other companies in Europe and, and elsewhere, have been doing a lot of work on battery recycling. Um, Redwood is already recycling um, at least six gigawatt hours a year worth of uh, battery scrap uh, from production at uh, Tesla and uh, as well as um, from AESC Envision in Tennessee and also recycling consumer electronics batteries. And that recycling process, uh, what they call um, uh, hydrometallurgy, can recover uh, about 98% of all those critical minerals from old batteries. And it, you know, from, uh, from studies that have been done, because you're taking the minerals out of used batteries and you're refining it, refining it again, you can actually get, they've actually found that you can get better performance from batteries made from recycled materials than from virgin materials, because every time you recycle it, you're taking out more of the impurities from that material. And so, you know, what we will see uh, Redwood materials, for example, um, plans to have about 500 gigawatt hours of recycling capacity available every year by the end of the decade. Um, and that's almost half of North American, uh, the projected North American battery production capacity. Uh, so, you know, if we've got a couple of other companies doing the same thing, we could be getting by the end of the decade, most of the material for new batteries from used batteries uh, or certainly by the mid 2030s. So the environmental impact of mining materials is going to be a lot less. In addition to that, there are a number of other um, promising, uh, competing and promising uh, battery chemistries, uh, most notably lithium iron phosphate, which is much cheaper. You know, the key minerals in there besides the lithium are iron and phosphorus, both of which are readily available domestically. Uh, they're they're non-toxic. Uh, you know, they're they're much lower cost than the nickel and cobalt and other materials that we're using. And there's already a couple of plants, um, one plant under construction uh, from our next energy uh, here in Michigan that uh, is going to be building LFP batteries, lithium iron phosphate batteries. Uh, there's another uh, plant that is going to pr be producing um LFP cobalt materials in West Michigan uh, in a couple of years uh, from a company called Goshen um, and likely at least one or two more plants building LFP cells. So that will help as well. Uh, in addition to that, um, there are other promising chemistries like lithium sulfur and uh, and sodium batteries as well. And then and, and, um, uh, aluminum, um, aluminum air batteries uh, or aluminum um, ion batteries. So it's we're not going to be relying entirely on the types uh, on the types of batteries that we have today. There is progress being made on new battery types and on where we get the materials from. So the environmental impact is going to be a lot less. As for the charging, um, you know, a big part of the uh, seven and a half billion dollars in the infrastructure package for 
um, for charging infrastructure uh, is for deploying chargers in less uh, less well served areas. You know, in a lot more more rural areas. Um, you know, in the middle part of the country, uh, and certainly, you know, I think uh, it's going to take a lot longer to get significant EV adoption in a lot of those uh, states. You know, like the the Dakotas and Montana and Wyoming and and Minnesota and, and others. But you also have to keep in mind that there's also a lot fewer people that live there. Um, you know, if you look at where most of the vehicles are and where most of the population is. It's not in those in those big swaths of the middle of the country. Um, so even if you know, uh, and on the, the the coastal areas, the Midwest, um, you know, and and the South, we have a lot more EV adoption. That's going to account for a very high percentage of new vehicles. Yes, I, I do believe that hybrids will stay with us for quite some time. Uh, certainly, plug-in hybrids uh, are going to be with us, even even with the you know, in California, where they want to ban sales of new internal combustion engines by 2035, that doesn't eliminate that. Those regulations don't eliminate plug-in hybrids. It would still allow for plug-in hybrids. It just would it would ban sales of new vehicles that don't have a plug or that don't run on hydrogen, for example. Um, so anything that runs exclusively on on fossil fuels would be banned. Uh, for, or at least new vehicles, existing vehicles can stay on the road for you know for as long as they can um, continue to run, but new new vehicles would not be allowed. Um, so I think we'll we'll continue to see plug-in hybrids as part of the solution uh, across the country for a good long time to come. Uh, and finally, uh, Dan Vesma asked, uh, I was wondering what happened to clutchless manuals. Uh, I accidentally bought one in a first-generation Mercedes A-Class. And it was interesting. Some of the fun without a sore clutch leg in traffic. Uh, has anything in the last 15 years been available with a stick but no left pedal? I don't think so. Um, I think I think they have largely gone away. Uh, they've mostly been replaced um, by uh, dual clutch transmissions um, as as the alternative to either CVTs or traditional automatics. Uh, dual clutch gearboxes have some advantages. Um, there, you know, there can be greater efficiency compared to a regular automatic, certainly better performance. Uh, and they can, they, they're generally a lot smoother operating than clutchless manuals. Um, or even, you know, some of the early, uh, like the, the early, uh, automated clutch systems uh like uh you know like the the early f1 style formula one style systems uh like the audi r8 artronic <clears throat> which uh was an automated clutch you know where it actually had all the mechanical components of a traditional manual transmission uh including the clutch <clears throat> but it had hydraulic actuators to actuate the clutch uh automatically when you tap the the paddles uh or tap the uh the shift lever. So it didn't have a traditional H pattern shifter. It had, you know, just a, uh, like a Tiptronic style shifter, you know, an automatic, you know, where you tap it back and forth, uh, or paddles on the steering wheel. Uh, and then when you did that, it would automatically actuate the clutch. Um, and those have largely gone away. Those, um, those didn't, those weren't particularly good to drive, uh, on the streets. They, they worked, they worked well in racing and motorsports, but they were generally terrible 
on road cars. Uh, and so they've gone away from those in favor of DCTs, which are much smoother. They can shift much faster uh, than, than those, uh, those earlier clutchless manuals uh, or automated clutch transmissions. And they're generally preferred by most drivers. Uh, so that's it for this week. Um, and uh, sorry, Robbie had to leave early and Nicole couldn't join us today because she is uh, on vacation in Europe, uh, touring around Europe with her husband for, I believe, for their 30th anniversary. Uh, so uh, they're having they're having some fun in Europe right now. Uh, but we should all be back, hopefully, together next week. Um, and uh, if you want to send us some questions, uh, you can send them to uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media. Um, you can still use the Twitter. The Twitter account's still active, although I'm gradually migrating that over to migrating over to uh, Mastodon. Um, you can also um, send us uh, uh, messages. Uh, if you're a patron, you can send them uh, through the uh, through Patreon. Uh, send us messages that way. And uh, we appreciate all the feedback and uh, enjoy. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.